Welcome to another edition of Doc Fermento Discovers the World. Today we have the Bulletproof Exec, Dave Asprey. This will be take two. <laughs> we did a, a previous recording that I botched, so um, Dave has kindly rejoined me. Hi, Dave. Hi, Brian. Oh, thanks, thanks for uh, doing this again. Hope, um, hopefully, we can recapture the magic. Oh yeah, I'm sure we will, and I'm very glad to have a chance to chat with all the people who are listening to the show. Yeah, you know, I was motivated to reconnect with you um, for a few reasons. One, the the information you have is hugely valuable, and everyone needs to know about it. And then two, we never did talk about the number one thing that's on my mind, and that is coffee. So I'm using you as my coffee guru. I've been searching for coffee gurus uh, to interview, but your take on coffee is going to blow people's head off, so maybe we'll save that for later. All right. One of my favorite topics. Cool. So you developed a diet, um, the, the Bulletproof Diet. How did this start? Well, oh, about 15 years ago, I weighed nearly 300 pounds, and I'd been working out 45 minutes of cardio and 45 minutes of weights six days a week for 18 months, and I just wasn't losing any weight. And after another couple of years of that, I went to the doctor, and I, um, I said, you know, I think I, I just bought disability insurance. I'm, I'm feeling just tired all the time. I don't have any energy. I'm 26. And something's wrong. And I think vitamin C makes me feel a little bit better. But other than that, like, like I feel like I've been poisoned. And he said, oh, maybe it's your blood sugar. And vitamin C, you should stop. It'll kill you. And, and the guy, it just occurred to me that this guy had zeroed off for me. And so when he had never heard of Linus Pauling, who you know, won a Nobel Prize for his work, um, I think some of which included vitamin C, um, I told him he was fired. And I walked out the door. The company I worked for had gone public. I was worth $6 million when I was 26 uh, until the company went bankrupt anyway. And I spent a quarter million dollars on everything I could find to upgrade myself. Um, I would had access then to you know whatever lab tests I wanted, whatever technology, whatever supplements. Um, pretty much if I wanted it, um, I was willing to spend my entire fortune on getting better. And this is, um, this is called biohacking. Uh, that is exactly what it's called. I had no medical knowledge. I what I did have was uh, I was the first guy to sell anything over the internet earlier in the '90s. I was profiled as an entrepreneur magazine. So since the very first search engines were online, I was one of the guys using them, and I'm a really good researcher. So I took technologies that really come from computer science and actually hacking and it's called system thinking and I applied it to the human body and I kind of divided what the body does into different things and started looking at how I could improve them and I you know, do four hours of research and order something and try it for a week and see what worked over the course of a couple of years I I got a pretty good picture of what was going on and I started the foundations of this diet I put my first nutritional information online in 1997 98 and uh, but I didn't really publicize it too much. It was mostly for friends and family. And uh, um, finally, when it was time to get pregnant with my my wife, who's uh, let's see, our first kid she was thirty nine or forty, and our second one around forty two, forty three. Uh, so we were a little concerned. I, I had 
all the symptoms of Asperger's syndrome, a form of autism, till I was in my mid 20s, till I fixed it with nutrition and some other things. And having a later in life pregnancy with one parent who is certainly has that stuff in his family and another one who's later in, in years for pregnancy is very high risk. We didn't want that to happen. So I put down all the stuff I knew and got another 1,300 references and wrote a book on what to do to have better genes in your children. And the nutritional research that I put there, the things that we'd put in place years ago in our own life, I uh, quantified it, wrote it down, and explained the hows and whys and put it out there as the Bulletproof Diet. It also just so happens that same nutritional program, which is designed for neurological health and high mental performance, it's extremely good for fertility, which is why it works so well for uh, nutrition and pre during pregnancy and before pregnancy. And it's also really good for people who, say, have autism or ADD uh, or narcolepsy or any of those brain mis miswiring, brain misfiring things. They tend to have a reduction in symptoms when they eat this way because this is the what your brain wants you to eat. Yeah, so as you were developing this bulletproof diet, <clears throat> were you aware of um, other other things going on, other movements, say paleo or Weston A. Price? Well, uh, that's uh, I, I can say I'm very aware of the alternative things because I run an anti-aging nonprofit uh, group that's been around for 19 years in the Bay Area, and you know I've I've been there with more than 100 like top experts coming in to speak, but. This what I did with the bulletproof diet actually predates the invention of paleo, so um, it's evolved a little bit over time. But this is a biochemistry-based diet, and it turns out that what it does it looks a lot like a, a paleo diet. And the path you arrive to get to an optimal diet doesn't really matter as long as it's an optimal diet and it works. So the difference between what I do and what paleo does is that paleo and and the Bulletproof Diet both put the right nutrients in, the macronutrients are, are there, but what the Bulletproof Diet does is it is I take extra steps to remove things that shouldn't be there that paleo will skip. And the, the sad fact is that cavemen didn't have mass spectrometers and ELISA assay tests and other things that are really important, and they also didn't have pollution in the environment. They didn't have the really funky toxins that are generated by entirely new species of of uh, yeast and fungus that exist in our environment today that weren't around even 30 years ago. So what I've done is I've removed every toxin from every source that I can find from foods. So you're eating basically an uber clean paleo diet with even more saturated fat than typical paleo people. And man, it, it works. I mean, the comments on Twitter every day, people are like, you know, a really typical comment is, I lost more weight in the last four or six weeks than I did in the last year and a half of working out with low calories. And I'm not hungry, and my brain turns back on. Wow! Like I've been lied to my whole life. That, that's a pretty typical way of seeing the diet when, when people implement it right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a confounding diet to read, coming from a you know a standard American diet knowledge base. You know, if just to look at the, the recommendations, would kind of blow someone's head away. Like they just couldn't believe that this this is possible. Did I, I remember um, we talked about this before? You, you had a very uh, peculiar period there where you ate your diet with a, a pretty massive caloric intake daily for something like a year or two without exercise. Yeah, I what went. What were the to results the, there? I went two years, and this is partly just because at a certain point I got really tired when when I was fat, and also after I got thin, 
people look at fat people and go, oh, you're just eating too much. You have no willpower. And it's like, you know what? Like, if this wasn't a nice podcast, I would say the F word here because that's what I think about people who are, are doing that. But what's going on there? Fat people actually do eat less calories than thin people and they still stay fat on it. Like, calories are not calories. And so I said, you know, I'm really curious. I'm going to push the limits here. I'm going to eat 4,000 or more, oftentimes 4,500 calories a day. I'm going to do it every day. And I'm going to do it for a long time period. At the same time, I had a, a new baby. I said, screw it. I'm going to work five hours. I'm going to sleep five hours a night. And during that time, I had I, I wrote this book. It'll be published by Wiley called The Better Baby Book coming out um, this year. And I switched jobs. I'm a senior executive at a large internet security company. I'm a vice president there. Uh, and basically started the blog. So, oh, and I moved countries and I moved jobs in the middle of all that. So I, I basically increased my stress, increased the load on myself. You know, I'm, I'm a new father with two young kids. Uh, and I ate this diet to make my brain work better. And the results are on the website. Um, I grew a six pack. Uh, I was leaner and more muscular than I was before I did this. I also did the math. According to the people who believe the calorie lie, I should weigh 616 pounds. <laughs> I weigh about 210, give or take, you know, what water weight from, you know, how much I've drunk in the last few hours. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I've weighed that that pretty consistently for the past almost 10 years now, even though I have a history as a child of being obese. I have stretch marks along my abdomen uh, and along my thighs from when I was obese. Um, I got those when I was 18. And um, it's kind of nice uh, that I'm, you know, I'm muscular without working out. And I actually know the mechanisms behind that. And I actually just released a, a new post on bulletproof intermittent fasting and how intermittent fasting alone is an awesome approach to really rapidly build muscle and, and lose fat, but that you can sort of triple down on something called mTOR, which is uh, a certain molecule in the body that drives muscle growth. So it turns out what I'm doing with this bulletproof diet is I'm neurologically making sure you have all you need to build proper hormones, proper insulation around your nerves, and proper brain. And I'm getting rid of the things that interfere with those processes. And when you do it, like, you, you just, it, it's hard to explain, but you just kick more ass. Like, you need less yeah. sleep. You feel good. Like, your libido goes up. Your muscle goes up. Your fat goes down. And, like, you just see the world in a in a more empowered light. It, it's it's a good feeling. Yeah, it's pretty inspiring. Um, you know, I, just on my own experimentation, um, I, had a natural born fear of saturated fats and things, you know, discovering your diet and paleo and, and some of the others, you know, increase my fat intake. Uh, the number one notice uh, change for me was, um, the quality of my skin and my mental sharpness. Those were the two first that those changed really fast. And then the body changes along with that. Uh, it, it's interesting that you mentioned skin quality. I always had these, uh, I used to call them subterranean pimples, um, even into my, my young adult years, where I, I would you know, get one on the side of my nose or my face, these really deep ones that like, came from the, the subdermal layers of the skin, and they'd take you know, three or four days to come out, and they'd be like bright red, and, and uh, that was just kind of a fact of life for me. Mm -hmm. And 
what that is is it's a sign of inflammation, just general inflammation in the body. It's not that, oh, you need some antibiotic or something. Um, you need to get the inflammation under control. And I, I mean, there's it's almost hard to count the number of things in the Bulletproof Diet that are there, including like the selection of grass-fed meat versus other kinds of meat and you know the cooking recommendations. But you can get as perfect as you want on the diet, but you don't have to be anywhere near perfect. But anything mm-hmm. you do to, to eat more on towards the green direction on the diet, you have a green side and a red side, mm-hmm. um, that will make you less inflamed. So you have people who are walking around in a chronic state of inflammation, and they don't necessarily understand that oh, their skin problems and their brain problems are 100% linked, and that inflammation is the link. Uh, I certainly had that big time, both for my brain dysfunction that was going on back then, and, and you can see pictures of my brain scans on, on the web. I took some of my money and did a 3D um, spec scan, the kind that Dr. Amen recommends and uses to diagnose people. And you know, the comments from the psychiatrist who ordered the test were, uh, Dave, inside your brain is utter chaos. I don't even know how you're standing here in front of me. <laughs> he was kind of flabbergasted. And like I had like 20 things going on in my brain that they could see on the scan. And this was before I started the diet and, you know, call it enlightened self-interest but when you're under 30 and someone says oh look you know your brain's misfiring and uh oh here's your your stress hormones and they're you know 10 times level they should be and uh, it looks like you're at high risk for heart attack and cancer and stroke or not and yet heart attack and stroke not cancer um so you know good luck with that so none of that's the case anymore were you on a, on a, a lot of prescription medications then when I was a child, I had strep throat every month until I turned 16. When I turned 16, they took my tonsils out, and then I had a sinus infection every month until I turned 25. <laughs> I've been on tens of thousands of dollars worth of antibiotics in my life. Oh, wow. I haven't had to take antibiotics in the past few years except uh, maybe two times. Um, one I can think of, and that was actually a pneumonia problem. And uh, it's pretty it's pretty atypical to get pneumonia, um, but uh, um, that I, I chalk that one up to my own fault for uh, way too many international flights and way too short of a period of time. Yeah. Um, by the way, last year, so you know, you've got a little bit of my history. Last year, I flew um, seventy one trips, uh, many international trips. Amongst them, um, I don't know how many hundred thousand miles that was, but mm-hmm. you know, it's on an airplane, pretty much. Um, round trip uh probably three weeks out of the month the entire year wow yeah that's got to be uh i know jet lag alone but everything else that is involved in travel really weakens the immune system doesn't it 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 really does um although you know you can you can build resilience and you can do things that make you more resilient and when i it sounds weird but you know when i travel um i plan ahead i I have this stuff I have on the website. It's called liposomal glutathione, and it raises the uh, the levels of glutathione in your blood, similar to what an intravenous dose will do. And it's you know it's a careful delivery system, but it's kind of a uh, liquid that you're allowed to carry in your carry-on as long as it's in a small bottle. So I make sure that I always have that because this is the main antioxidant detoxing molecule throughout your body, but particularly in your um, in your liver. So in midair on a 10 hour flight, I'll take a shot of that stuff. And when I land and that, that alone, plus doing some other stuff that I've blogged about, you know, how to keep from getting sick on an airplane. If I do that, it's not impossible to get sick. Um, it's happened once or twice this last year, but 
given that hellacious volume of travel and getting sick a couple times is uh, is within the norm, and certainly I didn't get disabled by it. Oh, that's awesome. <clears throat> Let me think. I was thinking about your your biohacking experiments. Can you talk a little bit about the technology that you use? Sure. And there's a there's kind of a basic algorithm behind biohacking, and, and it's if, if you want to make a change in yourself, and, and there's two changes you can make. One is I want to fix something that I know is wrong, and the other one is I want to improve something that I want to improve, whatever it is. <clears throat> you try what's supposed to work, you know, the, the common wisdom, and if it, and you measure, and measuring is really important here. If you try what's supposed to work and it doesn't work, well, gee, that's a kind of a sign that whatever you heard wasn't right or there's something else going on. So then you try what, what isn't supposed to work, but it has a less probability of working, but, but may work. And then you measure your results. And you, you may be surprised at what works and what doesn't. What I found was, was particularly impactful. Um, in fact, the number one most impactful piece of technology is something called the M-Wave from the HeartMath Institute. I carry these on UpgradedSelf.com, which is my, uh, like my e-commerce site. But I'm also an advisor to the company behind HeartMath. And what this is is a, about a $200 device. It clips on your ear to look at your heart rate. And it has a little light that turns green, blue, or red. And you clip it to your ear. You sit down. And you look at the thing. And you make the light turn green. And in very short order, you realize it's not that easy because it seems to randomly change. Turns out you take a five second in, five second out, deep breath, you can get the light green. Then you suddenly learn breathing matters. And the next step you do is you get yourself to the point where you actually need to focus on like a feeling of love or kindness or, you know, puppies, uh, snuggly kittens, whatever it is that makes you go, ah. And if you don't do that, the light won't turn green. Now, that's kind of scary. There's no religion here. There's no meditation. There's no swamis or you know white robes. All this is is, is a cold, hard little device mm-hmm. that looks at the, the ratio of your heartbeats, um, the interbeat variability, it's called, um, or HRV for short, heart rate variability. People who have a high degree of variability, that is that heart, if I have my first heartbeat, let's say, might be a very fast heartbeat. My next heartbeat might be slow, and then the next one fast. So it's not that I want to have low heart rate or high heart rate. It's that each heartbeat should be at a very different rate than the next one. If you can teach yourself to do that, which isn't that hard to do if you have the right device, your overall odds of dying go down substantially from all causes. People with high rates of variability die less. And yeah. your it's, kind of, it's almost ridiculous. Your golf game improves. Your sleeping <laughs> improves dramatically. Yeah. Uh, you can lose weight, your stress hormones go down, your cortisol gets regulated. What's going on here is you're learning to consciously control your autonomic nervous system, your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, and this helps you to achieve balance. It also helps with post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's a $200 device that teaches you how to, how to add a new type of control to your body. You know how to ride a bike, you know how to snap your fingers, mm-hmm. but those are learned behaviors. You can also, with the same degree of kind of knowledge and precision, learn how to control your heart rate so that you can turn on happy at the snap of a finger. That ability, when you're feeling really cranky because you know you ate the wrong food or because you know something un- unfortunate happened to you, uh, the ability to go, wait, I'm going to turn on happy, and then to just let the emotional burden of whatever that is go. You want to build resilience, man. This is a $200 way to do it. It goes all the way from there up to uh, 
I did another thing. It's the equivalent of 40 years of daily practice Zen meditation in seven days. And at the end of seven days, I learned to put my brain in that same state that it takes a lifetime of meditation, like for a monk, to achieve. Um, I can't say that I benefited from all the knowledge that comes along with it, but that that amazing state, uh, it's achievable using technology. Um, that was a little bit more expensive than 200 bucks, but man, what a uh, what an amazing experience. Yeah. So I was going <clears> to. <throat> Going to mention that you you were talking about um, managing your your heart rate or the inter uh, variability by using your mind. So we are now talking about the brain. So we're talking about beta waves versus alpha waves. Uh, it, Is that it true? Goes- it, it, definitely, that's a big part of it. Um, teaching yourself to have more alpha waves is pretty important, and uh, it it turns out that twenty percent of the alpha waves in your head come from your heart. And, and people don't know this, but 80% of the nerves between the brain and the heart are sending impulses from the heart to the brain, not the other way around. Your brain doesn't control your heart. Your heart controls your brain. And this is this goes back to you know the very old picture of the body where emotions sit in the heart, you know, or you feel it in your gut. You do feel it in your gut. You do feel it in your heart. And those parts of your body communicate upwards to your brain. And it, I mean, there's, this is definitely, um, we'll say, this would be argued in some classical neuroscience circles where people like to believe that all of this is just in the brain, but it's kind of obvious when you look at the wiring d- diagrams of the body that it's not all in the brain, and when you look at what the effect of this heart rate variability training is on the brain and on the body, it's pretty profoundly obvious that the entire body is, is a system mm-hmm. and that your intelligence is not only in your brain. There, there are emotions in your body that affect how you live your life on earth mm-hmm. and they just aren't between your ears. So um, how much have you looked into, say, the, the gut-brain axis? Extensively. I went through, God, the first 25, 26 years of life just chronic GI problems. I would guess I've spent north of $40,000 on probiotics trying different things. <laughs> in 1998, I swallowed a Russian CES, or sorry, uh, a, a Russian TENS unit the size of a really big horse pill. It was a little battery with uh, uh, with a stainless steel housing and two electrodes, you know, those things they use at a physical therapist to you know, shock you to teach your muscles to get stronger. Yeah. I swallowed one of those to teach my intestines to get stronger. And it, it felt a little weird kind of buzzing around in my stomach, and it, it finally got lodged somewhere in my intestine right next to my sciatic nerve, so I spent a half hour kicking every 10 seconds. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of funny, to be honest. I don't uh, know how funny that would be. If what... <laughs> at the time, I, I was like, this is getting a little uncomfortable, but then it's like, what do you do about it? And the answer is nothing. <laughs> yeah, wait. So, yeah, it, uh, it took care of itself after a while, but... Uh, so 40K spent on probiotics, huh? Including... Uh, some, I believe they were pig whipworm eggs. Those Ooh. are like parasite eggs uh, mailed to me from Thailand in wow. a special package. And these are uh, a healthy parasite? I scrambled them. No, yeah, it's a, it's a healthy parasite. Well, maybe. Wow. There, uh, there's absolutely evidence that some autoimmune diseases uh, respond dramatically to the presence of, of small worms in the gut. There's also a theory that says, hmm, we were designed magically to, uh, to have all these bacteria living in our, in our biome, in our body, in our gut, on our skin. 
and all animals also have parasites that are species specific but we look at them as parasites so mm-hmm. there's a school of thinking that says well basically some species of these parasites are probably there as part of our probiotic regimen they're just larger probiotics just big yeah on a large scale yeah and you know so there's uh, definitely some that will kill you. you know, there's heartworms and there's all sorts of really nasty ones. But those are ones that are not like native to humans. Those are things that don't belong in you. So I'm forgetting the name of this. It's one of those Latin-derived names um, that basically means you know worm therapy. I think it's hel- Helmin therapy, H-E-L-M-I-N, okay. if I remember right. We'll look it up and have it in the show notes. Yeah, it's it's really, it's an interesting idea. I tried it. I didn't experience dramatic remissions. I know a few people who had, you know, Crohn's disease or IBD just go away. And I actually have zero GI problems uh, anymore. Like, I don't have that, you know, the horrible gas that mm-hmm. used to be a problem and, and all that. I eat my diet. If I eat foods that are, you know, inappropriate for my uh, my immune system, things I'm allergic to, I don't particularly feel that good. Uh, but even then, it resolves within a day. It yeah. rather than this are, chronic like. Do you, you know, take probiotics currently? Then I do take probiotics. Um, I don't take nearly as many as I used to, but I think that they're really healthy. And, and a really cool study just came out. Um, I talked about it in one of my podcasts in the biohacker report section. And what they found out, and this makes great sense to me, is that when you take probiotics or just eat, in fact, that's what it was. It was uh, funded by Dannon, of course, you know, trying to sell more Mm. of their yogurt. Mm -hmm. And they found that, you know, probiotic bacteria uh, actually change the genetic expression of the other bacteria in your gut. Mm -hmm. And that's really important. And this is why a little probiotic pill can do things. It's not about, you know, just knocking off the sites along the lining of your gut where bad bacteria live and you have to let them, you know, set up a fight and let the, the good ones take over. Yeah. It's a little bit more nuanced. It's more like hacking the system. You're like, well, we're going to change the inputs here. We're going to cause a change in genetic expression of the things that live in our gut. We're not going to, you know, knock them down, blow them off the walls and, you know, poop them out. It, it's, you yeah. know. <laughs> kind of like just change the balance there in your uh, favor. And also the ones that are still there, you know, they don't have to leave. Maybe they just change their genes and stop excreting toxins. Mm-hmm. All right. So on the probiotic issue, here's where we're going to get into a mess for me. <laughs> I'm a food fermenter. That's my gig. And uh, you're not too hip on that. I think um, we need to talk about mycotoxins. Absolutely. No one. I- look, I've listened to every podcast. I've read Every book, no one talks about this. It is probably one of the most important health topics in in my experience, and certainly in my life. And uh, I mean, I've I've sought out some of the world experts in order to learn what I learned. My first lecture on them happened in two thousand three. Um, I I was lecturing a group of people with uh, chronic chemical sensitivity. Um, I used to have that as well. I didn't exactly mention that. I I couldn't walk down the you know the the stink aisle with all the like at a grocery store with all the the soap and the perfumes and all that. Oh, okay. I get a headache and my stomach would hurt and I would I would feel really ill, like just completely bad. I still don't like like some smells. That you know, it's occasionally something I'll be like that really just was awful. Mm-hmm. But it's not like I'm disabled. It, it's just like it's irritating. So it's it's a level of resilience that's changed. What 
I told that group is that the number one cause of their chemical sensitivity was actually toxic mold exposure. And didn't have all the pieces back then, but I've been putting the pieces together. And there's what I think is kind of a seminal lecture on, uh, on it that I gave at the nonprofit that I run. It was formerly called the Smart Life Forum. It's now called Silicon Valley Health Institute. Um, if you go to my website, it, it's there. And I talk about my own experience with mold. And I'd also recommend to, to your readers who are interested in learning more to look at a book called Surviving Mold by uh, Dr. Richie Shoemaker. It, it turns out that about 25 to 28% of human beings are of a genetic subtype. This is an HLA variation if you're a geneticist listening to this or someone who's got <laughs> your human genome done. Um, and we are the type of person who, when we walk into a moldy building, this is a, a building in any climate that has water damage, uh, it turns, and you have to breathe these spores for it to happen. And when you do this, it turns on your innate immunity and it never turns off. And the toxins that you get from, from these buildings, and these are nasty toxins, they give people cancer and heart disease and diabetes and they, they mess with you. Like these are things as strong or stronger than antibiotics. You take a tiny pill and it magically changes, you know, you get better in a day. Well, you take the opposite of that tiny pill and you breathe it, you get worse in a day and you never know you did it. So I'm a canary because I lived in a house as a child with, with mold. I lived in a basement that had water damage. No one knew in the 80s that you had to fix that. We let it dry out and move mm -hmm. back in. I had nosebleeds 10 times a day until I moved out when I was a teenager. I had bruises all over my body constantly and asthma and rashes and you know behavioral problems. Certainly my, my mental wiring and the, just the stress in my body that comes from long-term chronic exposure to, to mycotoxins is bad. The studies exist now about them, and you'll see guys like Dr. Shoemaker who talk a lot about this route of breathing them. And, and I'll tell you flat out, if you go to a typical city that's not in a really extra humid climate, that maybe a third of buildings have water damage because of construction techniques. This is more in the U.S. It's not as bad in Europe. Um, but it's, it's a big issue. So sometimes people go into these buildings or they work in one or they go to a gym that's moldy because the, around the swimming pool it's it's highly moldy you get these spores in the air these toxins and you get sick you don't get better i talk about how to reverse that and what to do about it mm -hmm. that's part of the problem the other problem and i became aware of this because i am a canary at least i was i'm less of a canary now and the other problem comes from food we've been pushing the envelope on how do we get foods to last longer and we've been really looking at, at this whole, you know, how do we feed a lot of cows and a lot of chickens and everything else? And one thing you do is, well, you pick things that maybe aren't that really fit for animal consumption. You feed them to the animals anyway because as long as they don't die, you're okay. As and long as it, they're getting fatter and bigger. Exactly. And here's the kicker. Some mycotoxins, some of the really good ones, cause you to get fat very, very quickly. In fact, the one I'm talking about is called Zeralinone, and it works so incredibly well that you can buy something if you're a rancher of non-organic cattle, and it's called Xeranol. It's a waxy tablet made out of this toxin. It's an extremely potent fake estrogen called a xenoestrogen. You put the tablet in the cow's ear. It's wax. It melts into the cow, enters through the blood circulation in the ear, and then the cow gets really nice marbled steaks, and it gets wow. fat really fast, and then you can kill it and eat it and get that synthetic wow. estrogen pumped into your own body so you can look like that cow. God. 
I don't eat um, actually I don't even eat organic meat I eat grass fed meat or I don't eat meat yeah. because there's other reasons to go for grass fed aside uh, from the this talk this is just inspiring me to get back on my CSA and get my meat from my local <laughs> rancher slash farmer oh man that's there's, pretty sick there's so many reasons uh, to, to do it both environmental reasons and, and yeah. also just you know suffering of animals and and I, I eat a good pound of red meat a day uh and people say, well, you know, this isn't sustainable. It's bad for the environment. And, I mean, I'll, I, I sort of like the debates with, with the vegans and vegetarians where they're, they're claiming they're doing it for health reasons. And, and there's very obvious evidence that doesn't work. But if you're doing it for environmental reasons, it's easy to stop. Because if, I, if I'm living at home, I do travel sometimes. I, I, can't, I don't have the luxury of not eating some things. But if I stay at home and I eat just cow... I can have two pounds of meat every day of the year, and I kill 0.7 animals a year. Mm -hmm. If you eat a bowl of Fruit Loops, the number of animals that died for that bowl is almost hard to quantify. But a tractor went through a field and killed everything with a face, including mm -hmm. frogs, bunnies, mice, rats, squirrels, insects, everything else. And, yeah. yeah, and of course we destroyed the topsoil while we're at it. In yeah. fact. Agriculture is destroying the topsoil on our planet at a shocking rate, and it's doing other things. In fact, it's also agriculture has severely damaged one of the best ways of preserving food that we had historically, which is fermenting. Yes, and that's where I want to talk about mycotoxins in food instead of in the air. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> you were talking about wild mutant fungi. This was caused partially by a chemical. I think. Uh, in fact, it was caused almost entirely by a chemical. So about 25 or so years ago, DuPont made a chemical called Benomil, B-E-N-O-M-Y-L. This was a profoundly effective fungicide for use on crops. It killed fungus so incredibly effectively. There was some concern at the time, though, that uh, of the 2% the of mold that it didn't kill in the average spraying, it would have extreme levels of mutation. And there's something called a plasmid in a mold. And if you have plasmid level mutation, that's bad because instead of single genes mutating, you have whole groups of genes that mutate at the same time. And plasmids are like baseball trading cards for a fungus. They meet another fungus and like, ah, I got a plasmid that'll give you the power to fly. And mm -hmm. the other fungus says, that's great. I'll trade you. I'll give you the one that gives you lightning bolts out of your eyes. I mean, mm -hmm. we're talking X-Men of fungus right here. So... It's a little scary, and, and what's happened since then is is shocking. And if people understood the the impact on the entire biosphere of this, literally, I, I mean, people should be, um, we'll say, paying a lot more attention to this than they have been, because what it did is it created super molds. People get sick from toxic buildings way more now than they used to. I was talking with a local physician here in British Columbia, where I live, and the guy's from South Africa. And he said, Dave. I've had more complaints about eczema and psoriasis in the last five years than I've seen in my entire career. He said, I even got some on my hand. And, and he's, he's a, like, I eat a healthy diet. I eat the same mm -hmm. stuff I always ate. I, I don't know what's going on here, but something has changed. And, and what people don't understand is what changed is that the fungus that's always been around us and always been in natural balance with us and with each other is now basically big, bad, I'll kick your ass fungus because it, it's, it's pissed off. Mm -hmm. We've been spraying um, 
stuff on it that agitates it, which makes it make more toxins, and it makes it genetically select the most aggressive strains. <laughs> the other thing you might not know is, is if we were going to use a fungus, like the favorite fungus for humans is aspergillus, we use it extensively to generate chemicals. You take an uh, aspergillus, you genetically modify it to make whatever chemical you want as its toxin, then you put it in some sugar or whatever you're going to let it ferment, and you let it sit in a giant, uh, a giant vat fermenting. And then to increase yield, you shake the vat, which stresses the aspergillus. Mm-hmm. When you shake the vat, it makes more toxin. Then you hit it with a couple microwaves, EMFs. You heat it. You cool it. You basically you know, abuse it as much uh-huh. as you can. The more uncomfortable it is, the higher the amount of its protective chemicals it makes. If you to pr- Yeah, to, <laughs> to protect itself. Yeah, sure. Right. So if you've engineered it so it makes citric acid to protect itself, that's great because you want a citric acid. I thought aspergillus was a, a known carcinogen. Uh, it depends on what kind. Okay. I mean, if you, if you eat soy sauce, you get aspergillus. That's that's why it turns black. Oh, okay. <laughs> By the way, don't eat soy sauce. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so uh, soy sauce. What about um, uh, gluten-free soy sauce? Is this still out? Yeah, gluten-free soy sauce is still fermented with aspergillus. Okay. And it's pretty likely that you didn't get a genetically pure strain that you know that they know exactly what toxins it makes mm-hmm. i don't know anyone who does make a soy sauce like that i know a lot of people who had you know weird chronic health problems and they give up their soy sauce and they get better mm-hmm. uh, i've even had a few of them come up to me and say you know what one of them dave i've had hives for two years and i heard your lecture on mycotoxins i quit eating soy sauce my hives went away three days later mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very potent um, product and it doesn't have any health benefits. It has naturally occurring MSG. Um, I would say use a little bit of sea salt. It kind of yeah. has the same general panache, maybe a sprinkling of apple cider vinegar if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, soy sauce is unnecessary and it's not healthy. So, like, what about what? what about the visible molds we see? Like, if you go into it anywhere and just look at cauliflower, they're wrapped in plastic. They are always covered with black mold. I see it, and maybe other people don't see it or don't care. But I'll even see just one little speck. If you go home and cut it, slice it with a, a knife and just let it sit there, it'll just cover itself with a black mold. Uh, you should be scared of that. And, and this is... I mean, this is... I'm talking about organic store when I lived in San Mateo, California. Like, you know, these are five, six dollar heads of cauliflower. And they're, they're black moldy. You want to see something scary? Go to the back of a Whole Foods and look in the dumpster at the amount of food that they throw away because of mold. Mm-hmm. This is a major, major issue. And as we, we continue this, this, I'm just going to be really frank here. This Please, bizarre, this, go ahead, whatever. Bizarre obsession with you know, extreme variation of, of fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, it's really nice to have those. They are not a panacea for your health. And if you're getting... If you're going through extreme hoops to get something that's fresh, but by the time it was picked and it got to you, it's a week old, you're getting something that's started spoiling. And if you buy it on sale at the grocery store, they put it on sale because they know in two days it'll be covered in slime. Mm-hmm. So they're selling it when the slime is started, but you yeah, can't the things, it. it the, the fruits and vegetables don't age naturally. The molds happen so fast. It, I mean, I, I'm not saying that obviously this is anecdotal. This is just from my experience, but... Fresh cauliflower is moldy. You bring it home, you've got no time. It's it's gone. All all this, all the vegetables go really fast. 
Yes, and that's because they're starting to spoil the second they're picked, and a lot of them start to spoil in the field. They always have. But what we used to do is we used to pick them and then dry them or or can them Mm -hmm. or ferment them right there in their own biosphere when there weren't these extremely aggressive molds floating around. What we do now, we throw them in packing facilities mm -hmm. where there's always mold. And it's a problem with meat too, by the way. You know, their their meats that eat protein are the ones you want to stay the hell away from because they'll eat you. Mm-hmm. And you get cheap meat from a cheap packing plant. There's fungal eating meat. Or there's fungus that eats mm-hmm. meat around there. It gets in the food, and then you eat it, and it tries to eat you. And Oof. it's it's not a bad. It, it's not a good thing. Like it's bad for you. Okay, so what happens when I submerge these in my brine? Do they they populate in there. It depends on what it is. The okay. brine is certainly going to make a difference. I think blanching is actually a pretty good idea because you're definitely going to kill things. You know, and- it's a German method uh, for they won't – well, I say they. <laughs> it's in their books about fermenting. Say take um, green beans, for example. That's the one they say never eat raw. They actually blanch those, then lacto-ferment them. You know, it – it's one of those things where I've spent a lot. I've made my own sauerkraut lots of times. Uh, I ate every fermented thing I could think of to try and improve my gut. Uh, I, you know, I've eaten pig whipworm eggs. Like I, they're, right, they're, right. you know, like I'll suck the marrow out of a bone. Whatever. Uh, you know, it, I've had a raw lamb liver smoothie too, which was actually the worst thing I've ever tried. <laughs> so, um, all in the name of science, right? But but uh, when it comes to this fermenting stuff. There's definitely times when it can be good for you, but the variable there is what grew on it. Mm-hmm. And when you lacto-ferment it, okay, what strain of lactobacillus did you get? Right. Do you uh, make, unknown. Do you make your own kombucha by any chance? Yes. So I, I used to do that too, and it's really cool that like crazy thing that looks kind of like a kidney or something. Yeah, floating. they're going to call it a scoby. Yeah. People, people call it a mushroom, and I get all upset because it has nothing to do with that, so... Yeah, it's a bacteria and a yeast, like symbiotic thing, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just tacky. Like when you poke it, it's just cool. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just a cellulose yeah. fiber. Um, I actually read a paper. I mean, I'm really big on kombucha. I love it, even though it does increase my sugar intake, you know, because there, there is sugar remaining in it no matter how long you ferment it. But mm-hmm. I read a paper written by Paul Stamets, who is, if anyone who knows about um, fungi, he's the he's the guru of fungi. And he basically said, stay away from the stuff. I, I am of the same mindset. I did kombucha pretty much for two years, and I tracked how I felt afterwards for the next couple of days um, on a, an ad hoc basis. And, and I'm like, you know what? This stuff tastes awesome. I, you know, I, I love it. I don't think it's a health food. There is sugar in it. It's not just a sugar effect, though. There's, other, mm-hmm. there's up to 0.5% alcohol, and that's not mm-hmm. what it is either. It's that um, you don't necessarily know all the stuff that's in there, and I don't think most kombucha has been characterized and the people who make it have genetic drift. Like I was a sourdough, back when I ate grains, I was a sourdough guy. I had my 200 year old Russian and my 200 year old, um, was it German recipes? You mm-hmm. know, they drift. Yeah. And that drift happens every time you ferment something. And the problem is that the direction is drifting is not in a direction that's good for you. It's not positive. Yeah. All the changes that are happening in this fungal kingdom and bacterial wild kingdom are working against us conspiring against us currently they are and, and so maybe the the safest way that i can think of um, to ferment and i've actually done this a few times i'm not recently though is you would you'd blanch uh, say cabbage or whatever mm-hmm. you're going to do 
And then you throw it in a jar that's sterilized the same way, you know, with boiling water, same way you would sterilize something for canning. And then throw in the type of, uh, of medium that you want uh, mm -hmm. to you want to grow. I used, um, oh, geez, Standard Process makes these uh, yeast wafers. It's lactic acid yeast. Mm -hmm. uh, and I threw a couple of those in after it cooled off a little bit. So I had a situation where I was very likely to get lactic acid forming stuff growing on my food. It tasted good, mm -hmm. uh, but it was a genetically pure strain. Yeah, and so you're starting with this unknown strain. I depend just on the cabbage, basically. Um, so I just rely on that. Well, so what, what you're relying on then is the entire supply chain of the cabbage. The truck it rode in on, mm -hmm. what was in that truck? What got on the cabbage? Because you're relying mm -hmm. on, on all that. And, and here's the scary thing. The worst crops, like the ones that, that Benomil um, was used on the most, are citrus crops. And it, they're worse for a couple of reasons. One, you know, these oranges and limes and, and whatnot, they, they are all over the place. They're in every grocery store. All the really hostile fungus that comes along with them gets in those things. And then the runoff from those gets into the ocean. And so we've completely changed the nature of what's growing at the microscopic level in water. And so the whole biosphere has changed. So to rely on what's on the cabbage, you're actually relying on everything that's around the cabbage ever since it was there. If it's from your backyard and you have an organic backyard, mm -hmm. your neighbors, you know, aren't trying to compost um, non-organic, yeah. you know, uh, orange peels right next to your garden, um, you know, you're probably fine. Yeah, my thing is, I'm I'm very fortunate. My <laughs> my cabbages are as good as they can get. Um, Mine are direct from source, so then then you're in good shape and you're yeah. probably okay. But you're going to do and, better. Off to and do. I do about fifteen gallons at a time, so you know I like to do large, huge batches. I always feel it minimizes my risk, and instead of um, a bunch of little jars and stuff around. That that's really smart. So um, I have a I have a giant fifteen gallon crock, and I usually turn it all into kimchi because that's the most popular, and it disappears as soon as I put it all together. And I also drink about, you know, I, I probably drink two liters of kombucha a day. Holy crap. Yep. That's pretty wild. Now, we're running over time here. I've, we got to cover coffee. We have to do coffee. Oh, yeah. Let's do coffee. Okay, look. I've been searching for a coffee guru, like I said. And, you know, what am I going to learn? I know how to make a perfect espresso and all these things. But you have, it's kind of back to the mycotoxin issue and molds and... And then also, let's roll it into Bulletproof Coffee and how to improve your health. All right. Here's the deal with coffee. Um, half the studies say it's bad. Half the studies say it's good. Well, that tells you something. It's probably not the coffee. Either that or scientists are really, really stupid. What it is is it's what's on the coffee. The type of processing of the coffee really, really affects uh, how it tastes but also what it does to your body. What I found out was, you know, I actually gave up coffee. And I, I would go, I love coffee. I've loved coffee forever. Um, it, it, it's, it's a great beverage. But I would get sore joints or, and I would get jittery and irritable after I drank it. And finally I said, no more. And it went almost five years. And then I said, you know, maybe I can try it. And I had a cup of coffee. I felt great. Said, good, I'm, I'm, I'm cured. And then <laughs> good, I had a cup of coffee and I felt like crap. And like, this, this isn't fair. And, and right. I finally just... <laughs> That's, I threw a switch and I said, wait a minute, there's a difference between that cup and this cup and what is it? And I, I dug into all these research papers 
and looked at coffee processing and and ever since then I've been sort of on a quest to find the perfect cup of coffee and to do it consistently and I, I write the algorithm for how to find the best coffee in your town and I about oh six weeks ago I launched what's it's called Bulletproof Upgraded Coffee and it's coffee where every step of the manufacturing from where it's grown to how it's processed when it's green which is very important to how it's stored and transported to how it's tested when it arrives at the roaster, how it's roasted, and how it's shipped to you. Every step of the way is designed to give you the highest quality coffee that never had a chance to mold at any of the places where coffee gets infected along the supply chain. So the roasting doesn't just eliminate... I mean, the coffee's roasted at, what, like 380 degrees or some insane temperature? It is, and here's the problem. You can kill molds with fire, but the molds have already pumped out their chemicals, and once those chemicals are there, they are relatively heat stable. So um, even like like the best method for removing mycotoxins from coffee in terms of brewing is espresso because the steam and the heat can reduce at least aflatoxin by somewhere around 30-40%. But espresso isn't the best way of preparing coffee if you're looking at its effect on your health because you need a paper filter in there to soak up something called cafestrol that raises your LDL cholesterol. So, so what I, I ended up with is uh, I, there's a ways to find beans that are not fermented during their during their process, and you know certainly there are types of fermentation that are good. With coffee, there's an outer layer of chaff that surrounds the the coffee bean, and you need to get it off. And the options are you soak it in water for a couple days, uh, and you let it basically rot or ferment. And then you uh, rinse it all off, and that affected the flavor when you did that, hopefully in a good way, but not necessarily. And then uh, you dry it, and then you sell it, and then it's roasted. The other way is you leave it out, outdoors to basically kind of desiccate and also to ferment just mm-hmm. in the sun. And then you go through the... Uh, uh, the yeah, summer. it's coming back to me. I had read about this on yeah. uh, Sweet Maria's site. about. So what is this called? Water water well, processed or... There's wet process and there's natural process. Okay, wet process yeah, yeah. Is- Fermented with water. Natural process is left out to ferment with whatever you know, birds poop on it, and everything yeah, else yeah, right, right. in the sun. Um, both of those methods produce toxins, but wet process has far fewer toxins than natural process. Natural process coffee tastes just amazing. It's so good, and so it's local- similar to my deep water, my deep brines on my <laughs> kimchi. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things where it's like. Mm, but at the same time, like anyone who's a real coffee pro, actually that's an exaggeration, many of the coffee pros mm-hmm. I know who pay attention to that, they'll tell you, I don't feel good if I drink a natural process, but hot damn, it tasted so good. Like, okay. mm-hmm. I want that. So my local roaster, um, Carson at, at uh, Drum Roaster, who's uh, responsible for my Canadian line of, of uh, upgraded coffee, same thing. He says the natural process are hallucinogenic. You know, like, like you feel the cognitive effect of those. So the idea behind this upgraded coffee is that if you get coffee that doesn't have toxins in it, the jitters, the anger, the aggression that can come with coffee, mm-hmm. and sort of the, the headaches, they go away. And, and you drink this and, and you get this feeling like, I am a great golden god and I'm going to write <laughs> a novel right now. Like, <laughs> I've actually – I've had a few moments like that. Um, I can remember two specifically where I literally felt that. And it's it, – it is achievable every morning, and here's the mm-hmm. second piece to do it. You start out with beans that are that are brilliant, and um, I I do sell them. Does this them. mean I have to stop shopping at Trader Joe's? 
No, you can shop there because they sell Kerrygold grass-fed butter. No, I meant for my coffee. <laughs> but the Kerrygold, yeah. You're going to need a lot of that if you read my, my blog on the nutritional stuff. Right? I buy uh, eight pounds a month. Um, I, I spent $672 on grass-fed butter last time I went to, went to Trader Joe's. <laughs> yeah, I usually just buy whatever they have just there on the shelf. I just throw that in a basket and then I just buy all that. It, it's getting to be a problem in the in the Bay Area. I have lots of people who read the blog, and right. um, you go to a Whole Foods, it's almost always picked over. Like like Kerry Gold is becoming a scarce asset in some parts. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, I found a there's a a local dairy here, um, grass based dairy, and they have the butter um, same price, and it's uh, 40, 50 miles from here. Even better. Um, yeah. it's it, it's nice to go local, and and grass fed butter is terribly important because what you do with this unsalted butter. Is yeah. you brew a cup of coffee. I like the Hario V60 pour over method, which mm-hmm. is a twelve dollar funnel. Basically, it's a special kind. It holds up a special kind of paper cone. You pour your coffee grounds in that. You pour boiling water over it relatively slowly, and really good coffee comes out the bottom with the optimal amount of toxins. Mm-hmm. You then put unsalted butter and something called MCT oil, which is an extract of coconut oil. It's basically got six tablespoons of the good stuff from coconut oil and one tablespoon of it, so it's it's concentrated. You put those in there, and you blend it, and it gets a one-inch head of foam, just like the creamiest latte you've ever had, mm-hmm. and it doesn't taste like butter. It just tastes like... It just tastes like good. <laughs> every every person, I mean, I've turned tons of people onto this, and they are they're they're literally blown away. Especially it, if I don't tell them what I'm doing, and I just say, <laughs> "Here, drink this cup of coffee," and they're like, "It's it's so sweet." It's and they know I would never put sugar in it. Like it, it has a sweetness and a it's it's absolutely delicious. So I'm like, "Yeah, you're drinking about three tablespoons of butter in that." <laughs> And it's it's kind of funny. I, I had one friend who's a um, you know a financial analyst type, uh, very attractive woman, a perfect figure. But she'd been on a low fat diet for a long time, and she said, "Can I try some of that?" And, and mm-hmm. I said, "Sure." And, and she, it was like she started shaking. She's like, "I, I must have more." And, mm-hmm. and I said, "You should you should go s- slow down. You're going to need to teach your body to digest fat again." Yeah. But she told her how to do it. So she went home and she had a whole can of coconut milk blended with a stick of butter, and and like. She called me and she said, I couldn't stop. Like, I, never, I, I didn't know what to do, but I think I might have had too much. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think she felt good that night. Oh, she had a long night. Yeah. But that response of, like, your body will tell you, give me more now. Yeah. Because coffee is the number one source of antioxidants in the American diet. And coffee stimulates something called mTOR, which helps you build muscle. So I have instructions for something called bulletproof intermittent fasting. On the site, you wake up in the morning, you make this cup of coffee with as much butter and MCT oil as you like. It's creamy and it tastes good. And after mm-hmm. you drink it, the fat helps to modulate the um, the caffeine uh, and the other uh, xanthines in it. Yeah. Um, they basically go into your brain better, but a little bit slower. And you just you feel it more, mm-hmm. but without the letdown at the end. And you will feel full until two in the afternoon on that. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. The the, the um, satiating effect is is wicked, it, and, and it helps with your leptin. So it tells your body time to burn fat. It puts you in, in fat burning yeah. mode, ketosis. Speaking of leptin, that I had Doctor Cruz on the show. You know, Doctor Jack Cruz. Oh yeah, he's, he's it's so buddy. funny. He he developed Optimal Coffee on his own, and it's basically the same thing. Um, you know, but I think it was a coconut oil base, um, and then he throws in a little cinnamon and nutmeg and turmeric. 
Interesting. So I uh, I just talked with them the other night. Um, we're uh, we're going to be um, on a panel together at the Paleo FX show. Um, so it, it's it's actually I'm excited to talk to him live. But he uh, uh, we didn't mention the optimal coffee. I'd, I'll have to look at that. The the thing is, you can make bulletproof coffee with with just coconut oil. I have some vegetarian friends who try, and I've certainly done it. Um, it doesn't have the same brain effects as grass fed butter. The okay. best combination is you. You have to have the butter and a coconut product, preferably MCT. It, it is yeah. stronger with MCT. MCT is also used to reverse Alzheimer's symptoms. Like it, it's a powerful brain thing. Oh, I heard that episode that you had with that doctor. Um, yeah, with Mary Newport. And, oh, that uh, was whoa! I was like, everyone needs to hear this. If there's someone, you know, an older person in your life, I mean, wow. It, it, it's kind of like I, I had the the financial luxury to sort through so much crap. And I, I ended up with this list of, of probably like 20 things that are unworldly in terms of like of impact for a unit of time or unit of money spent. And um, certainly Bulletproof Coffee is one of those things. And MCT oil, mm-hmm. you know, it's like about 30 bucks for a, it's a quarter to, and it's a big bottle. Um, but it's the equivalent of like of six times as much coconut oil, mm-hmm. which is not that expensive. And it's almost all capric and caprylic triglycerides, which are, funny enough, antifungal, and your brain just loves them, and your liver loves them. So you do this stuff, and you wake up, and you're like, I had the best morning of my life. There was no 10 a.m. dip. I wasn't hungry. I didn't want a snack, and now I'm ready for lunch. Mm -hmm. And if you do this intermittent um, bulletproof fasting thing, especially if you exercise a little bit before you eat, you'll have hit all three triggers that tell your body it's time to build muscle. If you just go out and exercise – you don't get the same effect. So this is one of the reasons that after you know, two years of 4,500 calories, I can walk around you know, with, with a six-pack and, mm-hmm. and good biceps without having done anything. Mm-hmm. So you drink the Bulletproof coffee in the morning. Should you eat first or? You know, if you want the maximum effect mm-hmm. for health, you just you have only that in the morning at least three or four mornings a week. If you have even one egg or you know a bite of some other kind of food with it, mm-hmm. it doesn't have the same lasting effect on the body. It tells your body, oh, you need to digest some other stuff, and you get hungry two hours earlier. It's really weird. Okay. You say, well, eggs okay. are fat. I'm going to have three eggs and a cup of bulletproof coffee. You can do it. It's a good, healthy breakfast. You get your protein in the morning, but you'll be hungry by noon. And mm-hmm. if you want the mTOR kick that comes from an intermittent fast, then you have just the coffee. Hmm. So I have just coffee probably three, four times a week. And the other mornings, I'll have coffee uh, maybe without butter, and yeah. I'll put the butter in, you know, the eggs I'm eating. Eggs or whatever, sure. Yeah. Have, you, have you ever um, used a um, – I'm kind of a device guy. I like trying tools, and I'm a tool guy. Um, a, an AeroPress? Yes. I used to use the AeroPress more than I do now. Um, I used to travel with it. I, I travel so much that – I always bring my own coffee with me, and I always bring my own little setup. I can make coffee in a hotel room, and then I don't eat breakfast. If you can, have, if you yeah. get butter and coffee, you save yourself you know twenty five dollars for a crappy buffet at a hotel. Mm-hmm. And energy and brain smarts all day. Yeah, and you feel better too yeah. the whole time. That's one of the reasons I don't get sick when I travel uh, as much as I should or as much mm-hmm. as I do. So, um, the Hario V sixty pour over weighs less than an AeroPress. It has less moving parts. Has no moving parts. Yeah, and it washes off better. Okay. Which is why I go for it. Yeah, those are either glass or ceramic, I think, or porcelain or something. A clear plastic one. Okay. That's the one I travel with. Uh, At home, I like... Actually, at home, I still use Lucite. I had a a ceramic one, but I like the the thermal properties of Lucite. It doesn't absorb the heat from the water, so Mm -hmm. um, it's a trade-off between having no plastic touch your coffee. (laughs) 
<laughs> right, right. Yeah, but, the, the aerial uh, press gets so hot, you can't hold it. That's why it has that big rim on it. It, it does. And, you know, the air press is a neat piece of technology. I have one sitting on my counter. I also have, you know, a vacuum pot, um, you know, hand-blown glass from Japan. Yeah. But um, my daily coffee is like 90% of the time uh, just to pour over. It's it's okay. basically drip coffee, but I pour the water myself over the beans. Right, right. So it's the, better that way. I don't with know the Hario? Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, I'm I'm running low on time here. Well, that's, that's it. I wanted to cover the coffee. I, there's 50 billion other things I wanted to talk about because you're the, one of the only people that talks about certain things like the exposome. No one knows about that. Um, <laughs> well, there's a bunch of stuff, but for another day. And Yeah, uh, we'll have to schedule another one of these maybe in a couple months. Uh, I'd be up for doing that again, and we can talk about you know the exposome and you know, there's more about autonomic stress. And yeah. One thing that, that's kind of interesting is that I'm doing some work now with a world champion uh, powerlifter okay. uh, who was paralyzed from the chest down as a young man. And it's, it's an electrical modality, but uh, it looks like it's, it's I, I can tell you from my own experience with this stuff, it, it's pretty amazing technology that increases the, uh, the ability of your nerves to carry a signal and gives you more insulation on your nerves. Wow. So I'm going to be actually doing a, a live event with... Uh, uh, with this technology coming up in the next few months here, so I'm I'm pretty excited about that. Awesome! You're deep into all kinds of stuff. I'll have all tons of links in the show notes, but people just need to go to your site and listen to the podcast to get all the rest of the info. Um, can you just give us a, a takeaway? What you know, my audience is not paleo, and my audience is not they're not any they're just random people. So, what's the takeaway? What what would you say? Well, I, I would say that that. If you are into fermenting your food, that's okay. Uh, I, I would say that you're you're paying more attention, you're being more conscious of your diet than 99% of the people that probably either of us knows. Mm-hmm. So that's a good thing. And the information that you've heard today maybe gave you something else to be conscious of, which is that what grows on that food you ferment has a direct line to whether you're going to die from cancer or heart disease uh, and just whether you're going to have a great day or not a great day. So now that you have this knowledge, it's up to you to use it. And mm-hmm. the thing to do there is to be very conscious about introducing healthy bacteria and or yeast to anything you ferment. Don't rely so much on Mother Nature to do it because Mother Nature is a little pissed off at us right now. <laughs> so help her out. Put good stuff in what you ferment and it'll put good stuff in you. I love it, Dave. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, I can't wait. We'll talk again maybe springtime. That sounds like a plan. Thanks, Brian. It's always fun to chat. All right. Thank you. Bye. Good night now.